This is the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Today, we have David Wolf. He is the founder of Podcast Radio Network. And for more than 32 years, David Wolf has been the creative director, music composer, or producer of content for radio, TV, TV, film, podcast, audiobooks, and more. He's been hosting Small Business America podcast since 2005, so he's an OG in the podcasting world, and now syndicated coast-to-coast on BizTalk Radio Network and on Small Biz America Radio. David, it's been an honor having you on the show. Uh, I, I, I can say from the brief time that we've uh, interacted uh, together and to the people that are listening, uh, David is a genuine guy, a kind-hearted person, uh, and has a love for history uh, and, 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 of course, music. And I hope that you guys can see that and hear that when you listen to this episode uh, and just hear the love in his voice for the media industry. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy today's episode as much as I did. Uh, now let's get right to uh, today's episode. Let's go! Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Great to be with you. Absolutely. So before we get into the heavy hitting questions about business, entrepreneurship, life, everything else in between, we have to talk about the important stuff and that's food. So imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where are you going to eat and what are you going to order to make? So here's the, so the good news, Jonathan, is that I live in a place that has the thing we get addicted to when we live here, and that is red and green chili. Mm. It's indigenous to New Mexico. And what happens after you live here for a certain number of, of years is that you get uh, your, your taste buds acclimate and you find that you actually crave the heat. So there are abundant places that I could choose from, but to narrow it down a bit, um, there's a wonderful, I think it's like, almost 100 years old, up in Santa Fe. We're in Albuquerque, but we would drive up to Santa Fe, and there uh, is a place called Maria's, and it's like this tradition. It started as just like this little shack years and years and years ago, probably by someone named or related to Maria, and it turned into this local go-to place. So my wife and I will often go up there and, and do the red. I like the red. She likes the green, so we do the Christmas thing. That's what they call it here in New Mexico. It's Christmas. So, nice. uh, so tapping off a good day would be uh, probably some uh, blue corn enchiladas with red and green chili. At yeah, that is a great answer. I can be perfectly honest. It's been relatively cold here and where I'm from, which is right outside of uh, Philadelphia and Camden, New Jersey. Right on. And uh, excuse me. And, and so chili would be pretty nice right about now. Yeah, the heat. Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't think about it that way too much, you know, the temperature of heat and the taste of heat, but it actually probably does warm you up if it's cold winter, you know, and in Santa Fe, it did snow. We used to live up there and it it would snow and, you you know, you go to have this red chili, it'd be awesome. Yeah, that's good. That's a a great answer. Thank you so much, David, for that. The first real question of the podcast is tell me about a time that you felt lost or blind in business and how did you overcome that obstacle? Oh, this is so perfect for me right now. 
So I'm a guy in my mid fifties and I went through a, um, a couple of chapters like many of us do that have lived long enough. And, uh, and about uh, turning 40, uh, I, I was a music composer and producer. I, I still do a little bit of that, but this was my main, it was a business that I built. It actually was a practice by definition because I didn't have employees. I didn't have a large infrastructure. I was composing music um, uh, for hire, for ad agencies, filmmakers and the like. And that business tends to be a trendy business. And um, even if it's not trendy, I reached a point when I was 40 where it started to, to just, uh, I, I think I just grew uh, craving a new kind of challenge other than creative on demand. You know, it's a demanding business. You get a call for a, here's a piece of film, here's a radio spot, here's a this or that. I, I, we did really, really well. We ran the business for about 15 years. It was out of the Dallas market, which was really ripe for me at the time. Young 25-year-old guy coming in. So here I hit 40 and it's like, okay, now what? So we would take these long walks around the lake and Phyllis and I, we ran the business together. And, and ultimately, uh, we decided to, uh, I got a call from my brother and the, the call was way off the rails. You want to make bagels. Now, let me just say, so my co a cousin of mine who was in Albuquerque where we now are, uh, had started a very successful chain of sort of Jewish bagel delicatessen types of uh, uh, establishments. He had about seven of them. It was about a $3 million company, so still a small business. My brother had worked for him, and Bob called me and said, you want to make bagels? Well, what happened is, is the business, uh, like so many do, uh, ex uh, exploded in a really good way, but unfortunately, um, a series of really bad decisions were made on a number of levels, and the cousin and his wife closed it down, went into bankruptcy, and then a year later, they were physically gone from the state. So I got a call, and I had some capital. I bought the company out of bankruptcy, and this was going to be a family affair. It was my, my, my wife and myself and my brother and his uh, bride. And um, so we moved, we moved. We had lived in Santa Fe, but we moved back to Albuquerque specifically to buy this out of bankruptcy and really delve into something I knew nothing about. I mean, I knew about marketing from the music for advertising side of what I did and marketing our own business. But here we were going into a world that we really knew very little about. And, and I clearly underestimated both the financial risk to myself and my family in buying these assets. And I also underestimated uh, the not knowing what I don't know. So uh, long story short, you know, uh, we ran it for about eight years. I was the CEO. I really was not involved with the bakery part. That was my brother's piece. And this was layered with um, challenges. And this is back to really the core of your question. It was a, a place where, where ultimately a lot of pain happened financially. Um, there was some friction within the family, but we all overcame it. Um, uh, it was a challenging and very uh, difficult project, and I eventually exited, even after raising more than a million dollars to keep it running and uh, basically delving into my retirement. Uh, uh, so, may, and there's a lot, there are a lot of entrepreneurs on the planet that have gone through these sorts of arcs, and so I'm not alone, but it was a lonely time, eventually ending in BK for us, and uh, so I filed a personal seven, and uh, we came out the other end. So, so this whole chapter was wrought with uh, uh, learning new stuff, understanding risk in business and what it really means, 
Um, uh, and finally, a lesson that we'll probably talk about a little bit more, and that is stay with what you really know and are an expert in. Uh, I was able to apply some of my communication skills and my marketing skills to this bagel bakery, but really, I had no business uh, taking it on. It was just way too much. So this was a very challenging period, and I, I think that's what you're looking for is this idea um, I recently did a speech. Oh, so I should finish the story. So I came out the other end and realigned with what I know how to do, which is audio production, to some extent video, you know, the extension of the, my music experience, my, my big market brand experience in music and audio. And so today that leads us to this podcast and radio company, but it took this really, really difficult and confusing and um, mysterious path to get back to myself and, and to get back home. So yeah. So you, um, you're back home where both literally and figuratively with what it is that you want to do in your, in your life. Um, was there a brief moment of time where you just sat down to yourself? Like, could you remember that day where you're like, what the hell am I doing? I'm not doing what I love anymore. I'm doing somebody else's, uh, passion, dream, et cetera. Well, it's interesting. You know, I did, I, I disclosed in the beginning of this story, Jonathan, that I really was fatigued from doing creative work. Mm -hmm. And and so there was a point where even though, you know, you say, well, how cool, you're writing music for this and that and this and that. But I actually reached a point where I just needed to do something else. So at the time, the, the prospect of making or creating a business, business enterprise with 30 or so employees where I'm not responsible for the output of creative uh, you know, for creative output on demand was really a refreshing idea in theory. Um, so, so I have to contextualize my answer with, I, I had decided that I didn't want to do this thing I know how to do and really got good at. And I, I'm not even still to this day clear on exactly why I sort of ran the other direction from myself almost, but to just be raw and real about it. I mean, I've, I went through a 15 year period starting with that bagel bakery project where I was, I call it now perpetual pointless pivots. I actually have spoken to rooms of people about this and it seems to resonate. I think some of us have, we reach a fatigue and this is maybe the moment you're talking about where and you start to, what happened to me is I started to, to um, chase ideas and things and transactions and money and it wasn't really core to my being and it wasn't core to why I'm on the planet, so to speak. And, and with that misalignment um, came this, this, this emotion you're describing where I was like with my head in my hands, how am I going to make payroll? You know, I, we had 30 employees. The business really never generated enough cash to be viable, but I was in denial for a long time. I had put a lot of money in, into it. And what happens with some entrepreneurs is that we get emotionally attached to the project and we get emotionally attached to the idea that it has to succeed, even if we should shut it down. We actually had some consultants come out at one point, look at our books and say, Wolf, you guys are bankrupt. You need to you know, either raise a whole lot of equity or you just need to close it, close it down. And I still continue to run it for another five years before we, we did close it down. Actually, we, we conveyed it to my brother and it continued to lose money for a number of years and finally buried him. And, and so that was the, the unfortunate ending to it all. Uh, and we all survived it as humans and as family were fine, but it was, a, it was just a devastating uh, period and difficult to go through. So I, I think I answered your question in terms of this yeah. emotional thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in, in business and life can be extremely emotional. Um, 
there, there has to be a, a bright spot with what it is that you're doing now. Um, you seem, uh, I talked to you a couple weeks ago and you, and you're this, uh, overwhelmingly positive guy. And even when right. we first started talking now, um, what was that transition uh, right. Um, right. of this positive nature? Because now, I mean, just by the look of what you're, what we're seeing in the background and to the people listening at home, um, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of pianos, there's musical equipment, there's, uh, there's just some cool stuff going on. Exactly. So I have a keyboard next to me. Sometimes, you know, in the media business, we wait for files to upload and download. So I, I'll tinkle the ivories in between uh, other things. Um, I also, uh, oddly, just this is an aside, but I got a call for a, uh, a wonderful uh, orchestration project for a, a, an anthem that's being pitched to uh, play at the uh, Washington, D.C. Mall uh, event on Memorial Day. So we're keeping our fingers crossed. I didn't write the song, but I, I did the uh, demo for it. That was my first actual music project in probably 10 or 12 years. Yeah. So I'm fundamentally a positive, optimistic guy, and this is kind of what you're getting from me. Even in the midst of all this crazy stuff that was going on over this, you know, 10-year period where I ran this uh, company that was struggling, um, you know, the, <laughs> we're, we're on the blind entrepreneur. I was blindly optimistic. Mm. So, so, and this is what was fueling me. Okay, let's write another check. Let's keep it going. Yeah, I'm in denial. It's all of that. So. So at a certain point, about a, only about a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago, I sort of called a timeout, and I did a few things. One is that I started to meditate. Uh, I, had, I had been aware of TM and Transcendental Meditation, which is what I learned, um, but I never actually had created a practice of doing it 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. And one of the things that happened, I have to attribute quite a bit of my mind shift and my decision making uh, executive function to this quiet time that I spend with my brain in the morning and the evening and my emotions and my heart and all of it. it. It really helped me get aligned in a way that I, I hadn't experienced since I was in my early twenties and it brought me back home. We, we said it earlier, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I'm getting over a cold. So so with that, I started to look at, I had been podcasting since 2005 or six. And so the idea of making more of that or growing it into more of, a, a, of an intentional operation was not an alien concept. So mm. what I did was I rebranded my show, which was Small Biz America, as a company or a, you know, more of a, a structured entity called Podcast and Radio, with the, which is really a an expression of my fascination with all things audio and, and with spoken word audio, which is what we're doing today. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, so when you, uh, something that I've been noticing about you in particular is just reading your bio and talking to you, you've worked with some incredible companies and uh, you've partnered with some incredible companies. Was there any particular project that you worked with that was just like, holy crap, this is, this is why I'm alive. This is yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that question. Good question, Jonathan. So, because it's all about the emotions. Why am I? I'm so glad I'm alive. So there are a couple. There's one that bubbles to the top, and it was really a purely musical experience. Um, a producer uh, who was based in Houston came to me and said, "Listen, uh, we got Ted Koppel, uh, the reporter uh, from ABC News, and we're going to do a documentary film fundraiser." for the U.S. Holocaust 
Jewish Holocaust, uh, the Holocaust Museum in um, Washington, D.C. It's about, it's going to be about a 20 minute film. Uh, Ted will be on camera and then we're going to go through this archival footage and we're going to basically tell the story and raise money. And he played me this CBS um, newsreel from probably 1962 or something and said, you know, it, a lot of orchestration, sort of military, sort of film scoring sort of thing, which I love. I'm a fan of old film. And he, um, he said, we'd like it to sound like this. Uh, and so the initial idea was, it wasn't a huge budget, but the initial idea was we would do it with synthesizer. And I looked at uh, David, his, his name is David Haspel, and I said, David, I can't, you know, I, I can't get this sound and do this film score justice with synthesizers. I've got to get a small studio orchestra. And so in this business, uh, I, you know, they're rare that you have the opportunity to pull real players, you know, strings and horns and brass and percussion into a studio and actually conduct and do this thing. So, so um, we did the score. And what was amazing about the process of doing that was that, you know, when you're looking at historically significant and culturally and socially significant um, archival footage about the Holocaust, um, you know, as a Jew, and, and, and there's this emotional sort of um, uh, DNA that sort of gets, got aroused. And I, I found myself writing music that I didn't even know it was, where it was coming from. Mm. Uh, you know, I listened to a lot of film scores, and I certainly have my influences from classical music and jazz. But I was really writing. I was channeling stuff. I didn't know where it was coming from. That was the moment you're talking about. Um, from a client perspective, you know, I got to work on Barney the Dinosaur. So we were, <laughs> I was one of three music producers. Um, and you know, as simplistic and as sometimes even annoying as many adults feel Barney was, they were a wonderful, wonderful client. It, it put me in a position where I was able to earn royalties on songs from a catalog that I created over, you know, five, eight years. And I got to work with some wonderful people. The people that were running that, particularly the producer uh, that I worked with, Dennis, was just amazing, uh, to work with and really, 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 um, just good collaborators. And so that, that experience of working with great collaborators is so beautiful. Um, the, the, and there were others along the way I could mention, but I know we're limited on time. But, but um, uh, I, I did get to work with a lot of great brands. Usually I was working with the advertising agency. Chuck E. Cheese Restaurants was another one that was a long-term client and got to do a lot of wonderful work with them that played on the, in all their stores internationally. That was a fun project. That's very cool. Um, <coughs> You mentioned some influences being influenced by particular yeah. symphonies. Uh, I also did some research and found that, yeah, you, you and you confirmed it a couple of minutes ago about your love of old film. Um, wow. And I'll, wow. I'll, and I'll ask and I'll tell you why I, I know briefly about that. Um, uh, but, but what are some of the influences that you have that, um, that to this day that you maybe listen to or maybe you watch on a routine basis to kind of just spark some creativity. There are so many wonderful, amazing composers. And one of the things as a composer that you sort of do is you, I think this is true for many of us, is that you listen to as much and you expose yourself to as many different approaches to solving film scoring problems or, um, which is where I'm attracted to. Uh, and, um, and, and you begin to, to you um, somehow through osmosis, you internalize the creative choices that you like. And you find them sneaking back into your work in very mysterious and wonderful ways. So um, all of the Hollywood great scoring guys, um, 
and I'll mention a few names, but there's so many wonderful, even more contemporary guys um, on the contemporary side, you know, like Thomas Newman, of course, John Williams, who can basically assimilate just about everything. And his, his technical, you, you know, it's just, um, and his capacity to, to, um, to, to understand the filmmakers, um, um, objectives for, you know, whether it's a scene by scene or the over arc or creating themes for characters. I mean, you know, he's an archetypal composer, Bernard Herrmann, tremendously influential, for those who don't know, he did all the Hitchcock stuff, almost all of it. And they had a wonderful collaboration. The most famous, of course, is uh, of Psycho, um, you know, for reasons we understand. It was a striking film for 1962. I think it was 60, uh, 1960, I think, Psycho. I, I think I have that right. And, um, and then there's Erich Korngold. I've been driving around recently listening to Erich Korngold. He's a lesser known, but he's a guy that actually created the Hollywood sound for film scoring. And anybody who's doing it, whether it's Hans Zimmer or any of the contemporary guys, they all listen to Korngold. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith, who did one of my favorites, is Chinatown. I don't know if you remember the film Chinatown. That was um, 1974. Uh, so all of these, you know, you take them in and you kind of, and then they end up sneaking into your, your work. I started as a drummer. I was a jazz and rock drummer and I played some fusion. So I was like a, you know, a, a drummer in Chicago and then moved into composition. So the drumming sort of informs the way I work as well. So I hope that's that, cool. That's a no, lot, that, there's no, a lot that, packed into that. And I it sort of meandered a little bit, but you get the idea. Absolutely. So here's the, the reason why I, I led to, I'm led to believe um, that you are a fan of his, history. That's cool. Um, so the next portion that I always like to say is explain that grant. And I do a deep dive of uh, pictures that you've taken on the internet. Um, and although you may not have any pictures on your current Instagram, you did, um, you did do a Facebook live not too long ago in a very old, um, I don't know if you remember, there's a very old, um, let me just get rid of this. Yeah, that's, it looks like uh, my wife may have, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're in, so I, I was watching some of your Facebook lives and you always mention uh, a point of history, whether it's a date or a year or a movie that you watch. And then being in the background, you have a whole bunch of different things that are uh, according to history as well. Um, my question to you about this one, this one in particular, which was, yes. I believe it was something about the 1930s. Um, being that you went to a, uh, uh, a hotel yep. where everybody left off. Like what, is there a particular point in, in history that you're just infatuated with? Um, and, and why is that? Yes. yes, yes, that's a great question. So I'm really fascinated with sort of what I'll call the, the, the uh, post-industrial or the industrial pre, in, through the industrial uh, age. Um, and that encompasses a long period of time, but but what you showed me there, what you showed us uh, all together uh, for those watching and listening is a, um, a Fred Harvey historic hotel. There are many, uh, Fred Harvey was a British guy that came into the States and it was, is credited for really creating what we now regard as the pre-franchise chain restaurant concept. It started on the railroad and it started with an experience he had where he had a meal on a train. They used to, well, they still do that, I think, in some places. I think Amtrak has meals, but it's like fast food or something. But they yeah. used to have dining cars where you would have these um, these wonderful meals that were like, but he was, uh, 
severely disappointed with his experience and said, hmm, I'm a restaurateur. I'm going to talk to uh, the Santa Fe Rail. I'm going to, so he ended up striking a deal to be the caterer of the on in-car restaurants, if I've got this right. There's a lot of history around Fred Harvey. And really is credited for creating the chain concept. And he had them all over, all along the railroad lines. They would have, at the stations, he would have Fred Harvey hotels and restaurants. And then I believe it started with uh, with doing the service, the meal service on the trains themselves. And it had combinations of, of both, I think, during different periods of Fred Harvey's uh, of, uh, his uh, career. Uh, that's, that's cool. What we're looking at there. It's so cool. So I think it's like the 20s, really the 30s, 40s, 50s. I sometimes feel like I was born a little bit late, you know, because of the film scoring thing. I think I would have done really, really well as an early film guy, you know, doing scoring and, uh, you know, perhaps in Los Angeles landing there, you know. Uh, um, and, I thought it was really cool with the, the video that you showed was um, – yeah, I guess that old mentality, and and I and there's a relation to business as well. Um, but totally. at one point in time, that we the only way that we were able to communicate with people is to um, go through a train, stop at the train station wherever it may be, get off, and that's all you got, and you have to figure it out. And now we have all of these options and all of these these things that we can choose from, and we now have this. Uh, this this mentality in life where we don't we can't commit to anything so um what are what are your overall thoughts on on that aspect of just business and life this period i this inflection point i had about a year ago at age 57 uh, to decide not let the the universe happen to me so much but really i made a very intentional decision that over the next 12, 15 years I've got left, you know, I hope maybe longer, maybe not, but, uh, you know, I'll be 70 in 12, 13 years or so. So at that point, and I just decided I was going to get back to setting some rules around what I'm going to engage in. I'm going to, you know, align myself with what I'm passionate about and what I know how to do well so that I can really be, um, add value to whoever I work with. I'm going to work with people. I enjoy the experience of being with, in, while we're working together on projects that are meaningful. And once I made those sort of that three-tiered decision, those three legs, things started lining up for me in a new, like miraculous way that I hadn't experienced since I was about 18 or 19 years old when I, it was like a moment of, I'm going to decide to be a music producer for commercials. And this was like a split second. Here's how I'm a drummer. I'm going to apply myself to learning how to write better. I'm going to market to ad agencies. I mean, it was like a lightning bolt that hit me. It was a moment of decision. And I think there's that moment where you just decide and you make that commitment. The periods where I was less um, successful, whatever that means, financially, spiritually, emotionally, fulfilled, fulfillment-wise, it's because I, 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 I was... Um, I said this a bit earlier, I was um, following, chasing, uh, I, I, it was externally focused as opposed to aligned internally. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it makes complete sense. Um, 
and I think this actually makes sense to make the, the segue. Um, and I think life is all about segues into the final question of the podcast. Perfect. So the blind entrepreneur podcast is defined as a person who may be temporarily <laughs> lost in business and mm. cannot see the obvious. Right. So to those individuals, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur? Thank you. So I, I telegraphed some of this uh, a moment ago. First of all, um, we talk about passion a lot, and it is quite essential that we are emotionally engaged in what we're doing. We should not be living the lives of others. We should not be doing the doing of others. We should really, um, I say we should. I encourage entrepreneurs to work on projects and business endeavors that they truly feel like their value can be can rise and 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 they can be their truest self mm. uh, there may be a couple of features of the three in there the other one is patience um you know we're living in a very the, the velocity of information is conditioning us to really not be patient you know we're not patient with how long uh, the screen draws we're not patient with how long it takes to get paid or we're not whatever the the issues are um, and, and this may be me. I mean, I, I have a very fast moving mind, so I'm probably speaking from experience and my meditation has helped guide me around this as well is that things unfold the way they need to naturally unfold. And the more you can sort of yield to the natural course of the universe doing that in business and in life, um, I think you'll be ultimately, ultimately more fulfilled. You know, we're, we're always, we're fleeting to the future. We're, uh, carrying the baggage of the past or the memories of the past, you know, practicing a little amnesia about the past and, and just embracing what is the right now, the moment, the moment, the moment, right now, what is the moment? I just watched uh, you ever see Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that film? Yes. Yeah. David yeah. Mamet. Isn't that great? So there's this uh, Richard Roma, the moment he's talking to Jim, the guy he's going to sell the property to Jim, we're living in the front in the, in the future. Our lives are in the past. Where is the moment? Where is the moment? I just love that. And we watched it just the other day. And it, it's a reminder. So there's this patience thing. And finally, the alignment piece of it. You know, and again, these all kind of mold and fit together. There's a, Zen, there's a Venn diagram. There's a Zen diagram. There's a Venn diagram where this is intersection, the sweet spot of all these three things, which I think is where you're going with this. Passion, patience, and this idea of alignment. Uh, and, and just... Um, it means different things for different people. But for me, it meant what I, what am I good at? What do I feel like I'm really adding value and what do I enjoy? And those sorts of things, whatever alignment means for you, just, just be aware of whether you are aligned or not with, um, with yourself in your business endeavor. So great pieces of advice. Great interview, David. Thank you so much for your time this morning to I'm talk about your experiences in business that, uh, you know, truly, truly means a lot. And I'd like to give the next 30 seconds for you to promote whatever it is that you have going on, how people can learn more about you, be a part of your journey and potentially become a customer. Well, thank you for that. So um, my core business is podcastandradio.com. We are uh, producers of audio content. We produce audiobooks. We produce podcasts. Uh, we run internet radio stations. Um, I'm in the early proof of concept stage around an interesting project that creates communities of podcasters around uh, internet radio stations and a new way of 
uh, sort of collectively and leveraging the collective wisdom of community into uh, the podcast space. Uh, you can find out more. Uh, there's a little video at podcastandradio.com. I'm excited about it. It's kind of a small little startup project that's beginning to take some speed. So um, I'd love to get people's feedback about what they think about uh, this. And we'll be working on this together with you, I know, Jonathan, soon. So uh, that's the exciting stuff. Podcastandradio.com. You can always send me an email at dwolf at podcastandradio.com if you just want to connect for any reason. Absolutely. And everything will be in the show notes too. So people can uh, contact you. Uh, thank you guys that are still watching and listening for always liking, commenting, subscribing, supporting truly means a lot. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and head over to tbeshow.com for more interviews. Go out there and execute your vision, everybody. Have a good rest of your day.